I've entitled this message called, Your Worship Will Set You Free. Your worship will free you. Um, I want to start by talking for just a moment about the children of Israel and when they were taken captive by the Egyptians. Most of you know the story. Most of you know how that all played out. Powerful, powerful. As a matter of fact, it's one of those those references in the Word of God that you will continually go back to because it will always relate to your experience, uh, you coming out of the world and into the fellowship of Jesus Christ or into the kingdom of God, just like the children of Israel were in Egypt and they came up out of that into the kingdom of God. Now, um, during that time, they were there for hundreds of years. The Bible says that they were there for 400 years. Think back and try to remember history just in our own nation. Our nation wasn't even yet a nation nation uh, uh, for 400 years ago. It was just fledging. It was just a, 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 a little spot where they would come and, and begin to pioneer a little bit, but really it wasn't America as, as we would come to know it. That's how far back they went, 400 years. So think in terms of what would happen from one generation every 40 years after the next, after the next. Well, after a while, you're going to believe you're a slave. After a while, you're going to believe you're at the mercy of the pharaohs. After a while, you're going to believe that the, your life was only meant to live on, be, uh, on, on, on behalf of the pharaohs and Egypt. You didn't have your own life. You were told when to get up in the morning. You were told when to go to bed. Now, you can't tell Americans what to do. Come on, someone say amen. But they told them what to do back in those days. You get up in the morning this time. You get go to bed this time. You eat at this time. You work at this pace. You work this long, and so on and so forth. They were conditioned to live in bondage. I'm trying to get this in your spirit today. Because I know there's a lot of believers. Guess what? They were still God's people, but they were still in bondage. So you can still be a child of God and still live in bondage. And if you go, let that go on from generation to generation, after a while, you just believe that's the way that it is. And, but when God got ready to free them, everybody say free them. When God got ready to free them, to transition them, they com- God commanded that they would walk through the water, which in fact was the Red Sea. They were to walk through the Red Sea. You remember when they were up against, their back was up against the Red Sea. They couldn't go backward, couldn't go forward. Pharaoh was chasing them to get them back. The last plague was in motion. And he couldn't go forward because there was a Red Sea. And God said, what do you have in your hand? He said, I have this rod. He said, take your rod and stretch it out over the Red Sea and divide it. And he did that, and the miracle of God came, and literally um, the waters spread. They, they opened up, and the people of God walked through the waters onto dry ground. Powerful, powerful move of God's spirit. Water represents the spirit. Water represents the spirit and the presence of God. The flowing, moving presence of the Lord. The Lord has put in my heart, especially the last few months as I begin to pray, that our church is going to move more into um, a presence type of ministry, presence ministry, in the sense that no man's going to get the glory. God forbid that Jeff Pruitt should ever stand up here and say, man, look what I've done. I mean, God forbid that any one of us would ever think this because if God does something, it's because God did it. You might have shared in that moment, but you, you had no power in of yourself to get it done. Come on, somebody say Amen. He is Lord of all, which makes him the star of the show. Jesus is the star of the show. Somebody say amen to that. And so if he's the star, then his presence means everything. 
And my desire is to see the presence of God flow in this place in such a degree that, you know, we may not have to lay hands on as many people. We'll always do it because the scripture says to do it. But I just believe people will walk in this place and feel God's presence in an unusual manner. And they're going to get their healing while they're sitting in the seat. And before the band ever strikes up, come on, the presence of God gets on them so strong that repentance comes. Come on, amen, somebody. They get their life right with God, and, and it's just beginning to happen on the inside of them. That, that, that to me, is where we're moving at as a church, and I believe that the, ch- the church at large all around the world, that is happening. And Thursday night, by the way, Thursdays are absolutely exploding. Uh, they have grown tremendously. We're seeing the power of God come with signs, wonders, miracles. People are being healed. I'll tell you about it. I have a backlog of testimonies. I got so many testimonies, I can't share them all in one service. So I'll share a couple a little little bit later. But I I just wanted to encourage you, get here on Thursday nights, especially if you need a miracle in your body or someone you love needs a miracle in their body. I'm telling you, God's doing something special. Um, I taught a little bit about this. and I talked about how God gave Ezekiel a vision. In the vision, he saw the temple of God, but what was different about it was there was a river, a mighty river, that was flowing in, out, and back through again through the temple of God. And he saw this, he said, Lord, what is this? He said, that's my river. He said, I want you to get in it. And he was a little bit nervous to do that because it was a raging river. And so he obeys God, and he gets in the river about ankle deep. And God says, that's not enough, son. I want you to go a little bit further. Now go up about a thousand cubits. And he goes up a little bit further. And now he's about thigh deep. But he wanted to stop right there. And God says, go a little bit further. And now he's about waist deep. Are y'all following me so far? You see, with God, it goes from faith to faith, glory to glory. It gets a little deeper every single time. But hang on, it's going to be a great ride. Come on. How many when you were a kid, they were slip and slide? Amen. Somebody say amen. It was a little dangerous, probably too dangerous, but it was a lot of fun. Amen. So you get in the water. Now he says, y'all go a little bit further. He's got to go a little bit further into the water, into the river. And now he's chest high. And then God says the unthinkable. Go a little bit further. So he goes in a little bit further. Now he's in over his head. I pray by the Spirit of God that God's people start getting in over their head with God. In over their head with the Spirit of God. Come on. And so now he's immersed completely immersed in the river. And he says, I was in the river that no man could swim. It raged too hard. And God saved him and plucked him out and put him in the bank. He said, that's my river that's coming to my house. Now, that's important because I received, that was on Thursday after, uh, morning rather, that I got that, I got that word. Thurs, uh, Thursday, a little later in the morning, I received a word that I shared on Thursday night. I want to share with you today from one of our trusted um, intercessors, Pito Rosado. He said, in my dream, I was at church, but the church looked more like a warehouse. I was here, there rather, with Madi, that's his wife, and Damadis and Anita, and a few others that I could not make out. We were going to pray, but Damadis had asked Madi if, if um, those are Hispanic names. Uh, if you don't know, if you read them the way they are, it's like, Mari and Damaris. Come on. But it's actually Damadis and Madi. All right, y'all Hispanics know what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> she said, uh, if, if we would pray instead, in, uh, instead of individually, just have 
a one of us that can lead and the rest would come into agreement. So Madi said yes and asked me to pray just like a woman and give it to her husband. Hallelujah. And I began praying, but worshiping Jesus, I began to worship. I began to worship and I began to thank God. Then when I started to get specific in my prayer and thanking God for his move and for his protection over our pastor and his family. And by the way, I would love for more people to pray for protection over me and my family. I prayed over you every day and I appreciate what you do for me. I feel it. I really do. She, he said, I could, she, she, he said I, could, I could hear Anita agreeing with me. And soon after that, we heard a loud sound coming from outside. Not inside, but outside. And we ran outside to look and saw a sea of people running from a hurricane. The wind was so strong. And I looked across the street and I saw a palm tree. So I ran to it with Nazalia, that's his daughter, and Madi. And I held on tightly to the palm tree while trying to hold them. For a moment, the winds calmed down, so we made a run back to the warehouse or the church. It was taking a while to get in because of the huge crowd of people that were running to get into the warehouse or the church. While we were behind the crowd waiting to get in, the water started to rise up to my chest. Now, I started getting excited when I read that because uh, he didn't know what I was going to tell the church that very night about Ezekiel and the water rising to his chest. So I had to hold Nazalia above my head. We finally made it to the warehouse of the church. And the deeper we into the warehouse, the church we, that we went into, the water became less. We finally got to the back end of the warehouse of the church where we found a bridge to hide under until the hurricane passed. Now that is significant. And I got my confirmation in that moment. And what's interesting is this. I want to say this to this church. There is a storm that is coming. There's a storm coming to Milwaukee, but there's a storm coming to planet Earth. And it's not, it's not a storm that's a usual storm that we got to run from. Let me just tell you something. There are two types of people on planet Earth. The one that will see the storm in sheer terror and think, what in the world are we going to do? We're going to be consumed by it. And the other folk are going to see the storm and go, woo, looks like good weather outside. Looks like God is on the move. Looks like God's spirit's about to blow in this. Come on. How many knows we need a move of God to blow up in this place a storm? Yes. And those people that were terrified, what struck me was they knew where to run. The hurricane hit them, and all they could think was get to the house of God. And it was so full, so full of people. See, sometimes we want the church to be filled with the right kind of folk. The folk that got everything together. The folk that know how to say, praise the Lord and pass the mashed potatoes. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the folk that know how to tithe. The folk that know how to serve. But there's coming a whole bunch of people that don't know nothing about church or God. They're only coming here as a place of refuge and comfort and safety. Come on. Amen. Then Rich Schwegler had this vision, never given me one before. And I love that men are doing this. I'll always receive the women's prophecies and stuff, but I love that men are doing this. I had a vision while in Canada, and it was a vision of, of the outside of our church. I was up higher than the church looking down. There was a huge river that was flowing, come on, guys, through the top and back of the building. Is it right here, buddy? Was it right here? Is that where it was? And flowing top, the back of the building, and exploding through the front doors of the church. 
He said there's a great river of the Holy Spirit that's beginning to flow into our churches for those that are truly passionate, radical, want righteousness in themselves and are fiercely seeking Jesus. He got this five months ago and just told me recently, don't tell me God's not on the move doing something. I received another word that I completely forgot about by one of our trusted intercessors that said that that as they were praising and worshiping God on the platform, a mighty river came up out of the altar and went out into the audience and touched everybody in the audience and then went out those doors to the back of the church and then filled the whole place and then went out the front door of the church and then began to spill like a river going throughout the whole city of Milwaukee. And she said that the, 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 the people were drawn to the water. They were so thirsty. They wanted to get in the water and then they, what they did was they followed that river all the way back into the house of God. Now, these are people that did not connect, did not say, say at the same time. It was just God speaking. I mean, I bet you a million bucks. Some of you all have had dreams that are similar. Are you ready, like the song says, for a move of God? Are you ready to see God do something beyond we've ever seen before in our lives? A great river, as which has been prophesied, a great river like that was in the time of Ezekiel that's coming to planet Earth right now is due to an overflowing of its banks. Usually it's because of a deluge of water from storms that come and fill those water banks. Next thing you know, the whole river is out of control. Completely out of, it's so dangerous that if you don't know what you're doing, you can drown. Now, all right. I want, to, I want you to keep in mind that God freed his people, the children of Israel, for the sole purpose of worshiping him. Make the statement. You've been freed by Jesus to be a worshiper of God. And worship is what will keep you free while you're serving God all the days of your life. There is nothing There is nothing that can substitute your worship on planet earth. You may not have all the talents and abilities of some people that you see and you envy and you wish you could sing like that or you wish you could play like that or you wish you had that talent or that ability. That's all right. But every one of you are called to be a worshiper. Every one of you carry the talent to worship God. You might not be able to carry a tune, but you can carry some worship. You are so called to be a worshiper that if you stepped out and gave God your worship, God would literally turn back the untimely things in your life that are bad and give you a breakthrough. He wants to revive you. That's what it's all about, reviving his people, restoring his people. God told Isaiah, you go tell King Hezekiah, y'all want to flow in the prophetic? I do too. I love it. But I want to give the good words. God spoke to me, you're going to be a millionaire by the end. I like that kind of, I like that word to give somebody. But the word he gave Isaiah to give Hezekiah, the king was, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Get your affairs in order. Get everything buttoned up because you aren't going to make it. You're going to die. He said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. You know, Isaiah, send me, Lord. And he did. And he walked out his door to go, go to to go to Hezekiah. Go to Hezekiah's place, palace, and give him the word. At the same time, God already spoke to Hezekiah and said, Son, your days are numbered. Get your affairs in order. He was only sending Isaiah as a confirming voice. He said, Get your affairs in order. You're going to die soon. And the Bible says that Hezekiah was laying on his bed. 
You see, when no one else is around, God still hears you. Come on, somebody. Laying on his bed. And he turned his face to the wall and began to pray and cry and beg God, Lord, remember. He said, don't you remember I've been good? Don't you remember the things that I've said for you? Don't you remember the things I've done for you? Lord, please extend my life. He's crying big crocodile tears. And all of a sudden, it stops Isaiah in his tracks. And Isaiah begins to hear the voice of God. And he says, don't do it. Don't send that word to, to Hezekiah. He said, I got a new word for him. You tell him. I've heard his cry. I'm going to turn this thing back. This untimely thing. I'm so glad that he sought me first. I'm so glad he, put, he turned his face toward me. And you tell him. If he will worship me, I will extend his life 15. Woo! I will extend his life 15 years. If you'll simply worship me, the power of your praise, the power of your worship. They told me they can't turn my microphone up, but I, I, I wish they could. I want to I I part your hair right now. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Undo. Unjust. They stuck them in prison. For what? Nothing but being obedient to God. Thinking in terms of, we might be here a while. Wasting away. They didn't get an attitude. They didn't say, God, this is terrible. You know, God told me, he said, I'm going to send the wounded warriors to the house of the Lord. You're going to bring healing to them. A part of that healing is you must accept the fact that God did not abandon you. God did not cause the bad things to happen to you. That was never God's will or God's purpose for you. you got to understand something. You enlisted into the battle. You are a part of God's army. The enemy just not going to let you take territory. I said, the devil is not going to let you walk in and take territory without him pushing back a little bit. So buck up, buttercup. God's got big plans for you. But don't you dare put that on God. So here they are, wasted away, feet in fetters, hands locked down in locks and chains. Can't do nothing in total darkness. Paul and Silas. Stuck in prison for nothing. 9.30 p.m., no help. 10 o'clock p.m., no help. 11 o'clock p.m., no help. That's where most Christians give up right there. In the 11th hour, that's where most people, I said in the 11th hour, that's where most people give up. 11.30, no help. But my Bible says in the midnight hour, they begin to praise and worship. Do we got some praisers and worship? And as they praise and as they worship God, the Bible says that God came down and shook, shook that prison broke the chains off of them, and they walked out scot-free. Can somebody say praise the Lord? 
Your worship can turn everything around. How about Jehoshaphat? Surrounded by his enemies. Enemies that used to fight each other. Now they've allied against him. And against Israel. Impending doom. They were unprepared for battle. Unprepared for war. And, and they're surrounded. And there's no way out, Robin. No way out. And here they are. And the leader, their fierce leader, is what? Afraid. Can we get real? Can we just get real? I don't care who you are and how strong you think you are. There are moments when you get afraid. And you start thinking, what's going on here, God? What's happening here? But the one thing I love about Jehoshaphat that it will always stick with me is though when he was afraid, the Bible said he set himself to seek the Lord and to call a fast. And he went before God in the temple and began to worship God. And as he worshiped God, the Bible says that God came to him and said, the battle is not yours, but the battle is mine. The battle is the Lord. In other words, church. What you're going through is a setup by the king. It's not for your demise. It's for victory, 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 victory. Because there is no victory without first a battle. I got the front half saying amen. What about y'all in the back half? Don't give the back half of the church a bad name. Come on, y'all. Let me hear the back half say amen. That's what I'm talking about right there. Praise God. You got to remind them because they don't know. They just, they don't feel like they're included. But I want to know if I get closer to it, I would. I'd jump off the stage, but I'm too big. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Are you with me so far? So he says this. He says, God says, you give me the praisers. You give me the word. I don't need nobody who knows how to bow and arrow. I don't need nobody who knows how to fling a sword around. I don't need somebody who throws a rock. I don't need nobody like that with no weapons. I don't need that to fight this battle. You understand me? I know you're fighting a natural thing, but this is going to go down in the supernatural. All you got to do is begin to praise me. And as you praise and worship me, I will set an ambush against your enemies. And he began to praise, and the team began to worship God. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Lord, you are Lord forever. Your mercy endures forever. Lord, you got the back of your people. They begin to praise and worship God. And as they praise and worship God, God himself with a host of heavenly angels came down and fought the battle and wiped them all out. He didn't bring the enemy to you to take you out. He brought the enemy to you so you can take him out with one swoop. Come on. Jesus is the captain of the host. And if we think we're going to move a God without spiritual warfare, you're crazy. Who's willing to fight? talking about a revolutionary i'm not talking about with weapons i'm talking about in the spirit let me just say some of you should have been dead a long time ago but somewhere you decided to give god the praise in the midst of your storm you didn't praise him because you had a storm you praised him in spite of the storm and that moved god more than you'll ever know and God has a, a way that he wants to be worshipped. And it's not in your emotions. It's not the color of your skin or what particular denomination you belong to. It's not in your feelings or whether you feel anything or not. When are we going to get past a feeling? Sometimes I feel, oh, jeez, I, I do. Woo. What happens when I don't go, whoo? Is he still not able? 
whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, the Bible says, let everything that has breath, let everything, let everything, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Do we got a few praises in the house today? I think we ought to give the Lord a big shout right now. So God did not call his people, his children, the children of Israel out so they could become really good nomadic wanderers. He did not call them out to tell really good stories about what God used to do for them in Egypt. He called them out that he might have a viable relationship with them and that he might be their king and that he might establish his kingdom on the earth through them. He wants a viable, real relationship with you and me. That's what water represents. Rep it represents relationship. That's what God was telling to Ezekiel. He was saying, Ezekiel, get in the water. I don't want to have a bunch of spectators in this church. Saying that was pretty cool, what God did for them. What about what God does for you? We don't need bank people on the bank with their arms folded looking at how everybody flowed down the river. What about you getting in the river yourself? He wants you to have a relationship. Ankle first. I know some of y'all toe dippers. Some of y'all toe dippers. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's all right. Some of us are cannonball running. I'm a cannonball guy. And then I go, bad mistake, bad mistake, bad mistake, right? But I'm just telling you, it's about relationship. And if water represents the Holy Spirit and his presence, then he was saying, I want you to have relationship with my spirit. Amen, somebody. This is what John the Baptist did. This was his ministry. John came in the spirit of Elijah. And the Bible says in the last days, the spirit of Elijah, like John the Baptist, will return to the earth. Not in a man, but in a company. His people. And his message was, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me just say that the ministry of John was similar to the ministry of Moses in the sense that they both were anointed to call God's people to order and to bring them out into the wilderness to have encounters with the Almighty. And both would usher in the greatest move of God of their lifetimes. John the Baptist and Moses, they're similar. Moses ushered in the J Joshua people, the Joshua generation, to go in and inherit the promises. While John the Baptist ushered in the Jesus movement or the Jesus people that would usher in everlasting life, the greatest promise of all time. The tabernacle of Moses was established as a place where the people would come to worship God. I'd done that on this platform years ago. Might have been the other side, I can't remember. And I built a, a tabernacle. It's not really that hard. I have all the implements to do that with. Because there, there's not a lot to it. it. It would not be a place you go, oh, wow. You know God dwells there. You know, you go to Europe and you see these beautiful basilicas and, 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 and churches and structures that are hundreds of years old. And you might think, wow, God lives there for sure. Look how gorgeous that is. Maybe it's, God not, has nothing to do with that brick and mortar at all. But God chose a tent. 
as his house. Because one day, something that didn't seem like God would ever fill it all. God would never be in it. Why? It was a representation that one day he'd come and he'd fill you and fill me. And people think, ain't no way God's in them, but God is in us. Come on, somebody. He is in us. You ought to thank God. You ought to thank God he's in you right now. Come on. And the tabernacle was the place, the Bible calls it, the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. It's where humanity meets divinity. You had the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. You know I pray that every night? I pray that very thing. It's just a little revelation I've got about this church. You've got the parking lot and you've got the, the surroundings, you know, our property. That's the outer court. The lobby's the inner court. And I believe that God wants this to be the holy of holies where he meets with his people. In the outer court you would first see, the very first thing you see is the altar of sacrifice. It was not appealing. It wasn't like, hey, let's meet tomorrow morning and have a cup of coffee at the altar of sacrifice. It wasn't like Starbucks outside. You know what I'm trying to say? It wasn't a nice place. It was charred. It smelled of flesh that had been burnt. It, uh, it was bloody. Uh, it was uh, crusted blood everywhere and dried up blood and on the ground and on the altar. It had been fired up. You can smell the iron in the air. It was not a pleasant place. It was a sacrificial place. It was where God would take a bull or the priest would take a bull or a lamb or a sheep or whatever the requirement for that year was and whatever the offering was and, and, and it would be slain there as a sacrifice and that, that would be repentance. The blood was offered for the forgiveness of sin of Israel but only for one year and then that would be heaped up. It was not forgiven. It was not forgiven. It was actually it was actually rolled over to the next year. So if you owed $10 on your sin, the next year you'd owe 10 plus the 10 before, that'd be 20. And that's how it would work. Kind of a, just a small analogy so you understand what's happening here. And so, but God used that as a way of being able to communicate to his people because no flesh can glory in his presence. So you could only speak to God if you were cleansed. After, that's the altar of sacrifice. After the altar of sacrifice, they call it the brazen altar, you would then be introduced to the brazen laver or the bronze laver. The bronze laver was like a massive wine goblet, huge, and it was filled with pure water. You could not move into the inner court where the showbread was, where the, 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 lamp, uh, the lamps were, where the table was. You couldn't move into that place and you certainly can't go past the veil into the Holy of Holies until you were first through the altar and past the brazen laver. So that what? You could not move into the inner court until you had washed. Mm. Again, what was the ministry of John the Baptist? Repent and what? That's the altar. And be baptize for the remission of your sins. Repent the altar. He had an outer court ministry. Repent the altar and then you have to be washed. Statement. Water precedes relationship. So when you need to move from one place to the next or one dimension of your life to the next dimension, there will always be the process of water. Mark that down. So it's important to note that at the brazen or the bronze laver, the priest had to wash his hands and his feet. 
You see, the altar of sacrifice is where the blood was spilled. This is where God cleanses you. Mm. But at the laver, the laver is where you cleanse yourself. The altar of blood sacrifice, God washes you. At the laver, the priest was told, you wash your hands and you wash your feet. Statement, water represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. God will not force you to spend time in his presence. He will not wake you up and say, it's time, it's time. You set the time aside. You make it happen. You set that time for him and you go, and it might be a sacrifice, but you go because it's the right thing to do because you need to be washed. The New Testament says, New Testament, New Testament, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's an action you get to do, a step you do on your own after you've been forgiven by the blood. In other words, meets, the Bible talks about repentance, meet unto work, works meets unto repentance. In other words, I do certain things that make things right in my life with God. If smoking, I'm not, listen, I'm not getting on nobody about smoking, but smoke is holding you back. If it's holding you back, then what you do is say, I quit. You don't say, God, take it from me. You got to quit. And then he helps you. That's just one example of anything else that's going on in your life. At the altar of sacrifice is where you repent and receive the forgiveness of sin. It's where you're redeemed by the blood. You see, some of you are saved, but you still feel guilty. You need to be washed. Some of you are saved, but you still deal with shame. You need to be washed. Some of you are saved, but you still have baggage. You need to be washed. Some of you are saved, but you're still angry. You still hurt. You still have bondage. You're still unforgiving. You need to be washed up in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're still going to heaven, but you got to be washed. And some of y'all said, first of all, you need to just get into like a bathtub in the presence of God and just soak for a while. Did your parents ever tell you that when you were a kid? You're playing outside all day long, and you, you know, it's summertime, and get in that bathtub and just soak. Just soak in there, because it's going to take a minute to get there. Because otherwise, your mom's scrubbing you, and it hurts real bad, you know. And my, my mother, she used to say, now get the bathtub. And so she'd draw the water, and I had to get in the bathtub, and I hated getting, I, I don't know, I think almost every boy, whatever, I hated taking baths. I mean, I hated taking a bath. And I was like, I ain't going to take that dumb bath. And so I would splash the water around, make a little noise, right? And then I'd drain it. And I walk out like, oh, thanks, mom. I took my bath. She boil it. What'd she say? Boy, let me check. You know, God knows when we're running game. God knows when we're running game on him. Come on, somebody. He's like, mama, boy, let me check. And I'd go there, oh, God. I'd walk over. I don't know how she's going to know, but she's probably going to figure it out. And she'd go there. One of the first things she'd do is smell my head. Come on. And then she'd check behind my ears. And then she'd pull my chin back and check the crease in my neck. And she saw dirt there. Boy, there's a dirt line in there. You lied to me. Get your whack, whack, whack and put me back in the bathtub till I was clean. Somebody say amen. I hated the bathtub. I hated it. But somehow after I got clean, I felt real good. <laughs> Just went right to sleep. Come on, somebody say amen. Isn't that the way it is sometimes? We don't really want to get there. Our flesh fights us all the way. I don't want to do it. I want to. But when you get there, you're like, why was I fighting? This is wonderful. And the more we worship God, the more we are soaking in his presence. And the cleaner we're becoming. Notice that the blood altar 
blood comes before the water. If the, you try to get it mixed up and do the water first, you're in religion. Because now you think your works of cleaning yourself up is good enough. It'll never be good enough. Never, 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 ever. You first have to have the blood applied. Children of Israel, before they left Egypt, they applied the blood to the doorposts. It was the last plague to come before they were to leave. It was the plague of death. And every firstborn child was going to get hit. And it's, it, was going to be, it was going to be terrible. But God always warns his people. He doesn't want destruction to come to our households. And he said, all you got to do is find me a lamb and, 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 and sacrifice that lamb to me. You can eat it. Sacrifice it to me. Take the blood on the hyssop branch and put it on the, the doorposts and on the lintel of the home. And watch what he says. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, the spirit of death and destruction will pass you by. Look, church, God will accept anybody who receives the sacrifice of a son no matter how bad they've been. Salvation isn't hinged on how clean you are. He'll take care of you in that matter. But the water, that altar is for the, the sinner to come under the blood and be cleaned up from the inside. But the water is for the believer to go deeper and further in God so that he can trust you because he can't give you what you're not cleaned up in. How are you going to deliver? How are you going to deliver them of all that drug addiction and alcoholism if you yourself are still stuck in it? I'm going to break it down to you a little bit more practical. How are you going to get your kids to quit cussing when you won't? Stop cussing. But you know, I get mad sometimes. We all get mad sometimes. Use different words. Jiminy Cricket. Use a word something. We just don't feel the same. I know. That's your flesh. That's your flesh. God is doing more, though, than just cleaning us up. He's trying to set us free. So we never have to deal with stuff again. Children of Israel passed through the water of the Red Sea after the blood sacrifice was accepted in Egypt. Today, it's not my blood. It's not your blood. It's the blood of Jesus. Whatever happened to being thankful for the blood? Whatever happened about being happy about the blood of Jesus? What happened to our songs? Oh, the blood of Jesus. Now we got to be cute. That's all right, too. But what about the blood? Let's not leave out the other things that matter more than anything else. Whatever happened to pleading the blood of Jesus over our children? Over our families, our wives, our church, our city? Plead the blood. I said, plead the blood. You want to drive the devil crazy? Plead the blood of Jesus. It protects you. So when they passed through the water, the Red Sea, they were free for the very first time in all of their lives. Church, we don't need more counselors in the house of God. We don't need more therapy. We don't need more self-help and humanism. And I know it's where I get in trouble with people because I do believe there's, there's some help here. But I, I, got, I got to tell the truth. It's limited. It will not totally free you. It can help. It can assist. But it will not free you. We need a move of the Holy Ghost like a gully washer to flow through this church and through our lives. 
Everybody say, wash me, Lord. Wash me, Lord. We need to be washed by the Lord. That's something to worship him over. Worship is the irreplaceable responsibility of every single believer in this life. You can't replace it. You'll find joy in the place of worship you can't get nowhere else. I just said something right there. Buying a new car can't take the place of worship. Buying a new house won't do it. Finding a new man won't do it. Finding a new woman won't do it, especially if you, got, you have an old man at home. Come on, somebody, an old woman at home that happens to be your husband or your wife. Won't do it, get a new one either. What's the matter with people thinking, oh, my God. I mean, my God, life is passing me by, and I can't, I, I fought, I, I, I used to be in love with them. I, I'm not in love with them. Who, what is wrong with you? Since when does love ever mean anything about an emotion? Love is a commitment. It's a covenant that you have with somebody to death do your part. I don't love her because she makes me happy every day. She, she does. She, she does. She does. Every day, every waking moment, every day. Her me. Trust me. I'm not easy to live with. Trust me. And y'all probably already figured that one out. I'm not. She loves me not out of something she can emote. It's not an emotion. She loves me because she's committed to me. I'm committed to her. And I'm here to tell you, that's the problem. We get a certain age in life, we think, oh my God. Your wife turns 50, you want to trade her for 225? What's the matter with you? You can't handle a 50-year-old. What are you going to do with 225 year old You're going to have a heart attack. What's wrong with you? And go to hell. And go to hell. Am I telling the truth? It's just the flesh, man. That's all the flesh is. It wants, 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 wants. City, changing a city won't ever fill the place of worship. Changing jobs won't do it. Only praise and worship of our Lord God can fill you up. I want to make this statement. I'm closing. When your mother was pregnant with you, you were living in a relatively small place of comfort. You were growing, but you reached a point where you could no longer stay in that place. You had to get a breakthrough to move into another world, into another dimension. This church, you and me, are going to another world. What I mean by that is we're going to another place in him that we've not been before. And it's exciting. And it's wonderful. But something happened. Ladies, something's got to take place for that breakthrough to happen. And this is what the the Lord showed me. Ladies, when you were pregnant, especially that first time, how did you know that you knew that you knew that that baby was coming pretty quick? How did you know? When the water breaks. When the water breaks, that's a sign that the baby can no longer stay where it's at. It's got to be ushered into a new place. That baby has to come through the waters. Come on, somebody. And I believe the water is about to break in this place. And what does that mean? That means I got to get real with God, man. I got to quit all these shenanigans. I got to quit thinking that I need what I need, I want, I want all up in my head. 
told the first service, that's the problem with some of y'all. I don't mean to be mean. And I'm not mean. I'm really not. But I got to tell it like it is. That's the problem with most Christians is they're all about themselves all the time. Oh, man, we're praying, we praying for the kids today. I need deliverance today. Yeah, you could have got it last week too. But you're still thinking about yourself and nobody else. Come on. What did you do last week with your time? Did you seek God? We've been talking about it. I'm going to get to that. No, no, no more of this. I won't get to it. After church today, you'll get to it. Before you lay your head down tonight, you get to it. You get to God. You seek God. You go after God with all you got. You, you can't go to the next level until you get through the water. Amen. I'll be here tonight when all you're sleeping. Maybe not. I'm going to be a little bit early. I think I'm, I'm sort of tired. But I'm coming. I'm going to pray about today. I'm going to pray about Thursday night. You better come Thursday night. I'm going to pray about Sunday. I'm in, guys. I ain't coming out. I ain't going back. I'm coming through these waters. I'm going to get my freedom. This church is going to get its freedom. Well, revival's coming to America as if it's just going to come to everybody. Is that what you thought? Show me anywhere in any revival that it went to everybody. It only went to the hungry. It only went to the thirsty. It only went to those that were seeking him. Any revival you can name, it's the same thing over and over. It only came out of the place of deep intercession and prayer, seeking God, spending time in the water. That's why at this service, before we close, we'll invite, and, I, and no, no, there's no, listen, there's no, um, there's no judgment that people have to leave because I get it. You do. And some of you were here last week. They can't stay this week for another song. But we'll invite you to come where you can worship just a little bit longer. Just soak. I'm only doing it so it gives people an opportunity just to soak a little bit longer. I want the team to come if they will. I want to say this as they're coming. How many knows that Jesus, General Jesus, is God? <laughs> and yet he walked on planet Earth. Y'all ready for this? And he, he knows who he is. Once he figures out who he is, you know the first thing he's got to do? He's got to go to the ministry of the outer court. He's got to see prophet John the Baptist. And he goes and sees John the Baptist, who happens to be his cousin. But when John sees cousin Jesus, he no longer sees him as cuz. He sees him as the lamb the sacrificial lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Such honor, such respect. And Jesus walks out into the Jordan, waist deep, ankle, thigh, waist, chest. And John sees him. He says to John, I've come to be baptized of you. And John says, no, no. He didn't see the revelation. He saw what he saw, but he couldn't see it all. It almost stopped right there. Matter of fact, it would have stopped right there had it been any other way. He said, Lord, he said, not so. I'm not worthy to baptize you. It is you who should baptize me. 
Jesus submitting to the plan of God. God Almighty submitting to his own plan. To his own honor. And says, John, permit it to be so. For thus it is fitting that we fulfill all righteousness. And he baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens parted. Did you hear what I just said? Thank you, Lord. When he came up out of those waters, heaven opened. And God descended like a dove upon Jesus. And God speaks and says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And when he comes out, he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. There could have been no demonstration of miracle signs and wonders from Jesus. Jesus could not have become the Savior of the world, fulfilling his assignment unless he first passed through the waters. It's all over the scriptures. That's the important of what I'm trying to say today.